Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 102 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Mike here, and I recently had the opportunity to speak on the Business of Podcasting panel at Startup Week Columbus. And if there's one thing I noticed, it's that a lot of people out there are interested in starting their own podcast, but aren't sure where to start. So we've decided to put together a podcast startup package with everything we've learned about building and growing a podcast to help you get there. You can pre-register for the Conquering Columbus podcast startup package now by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Mr. Bill Montgomery. And Bill is the Chief Sales Officer at 104.9 The River, a licensed radio station serving Central Ohio, as well as Chillicothe and Newark. And Bill has over 20 years of experience in radio sales and a lot of great insights on sales in general. We're really excited to have him here on the show today, and welcome to Conquering Columbus, Bill. Thanks a lot. Very excited to be here. Yeah, and so how's your day been so far? It has been a whirlwind. We had one of the artists that we play on the radio station actually come in for a very small kind of listener experience. Uh, so got there early. We served them pancakes and had to get there early and help you know with parking and bring a griddle and all that good stuff. So the, the day started there and it's been kind of a whirlwind ever since. And uh, just kind of the last thing I did was uh, a ribbon cutting for a business in uh, Gahanna area and then zip down here to... Uh, to do this with you guys, so uh, but I'm doing great. 
It's very exciting. So it sounds like kind of all over the place. Is there a typical day for you, or you kind of zoom in all the time? That's probably the the thing I love about my life is that there's not a typical day. I mean, there's there's normal types of activities that go on, but you know, some days it could be, hey, you get to meet an artist uh, that that we play on the radio station sometime. You know, you're at a a luncheon here and a cool speaker, uh, which we actually did today. I heard the the uh, publisher of uh, Business First spoke at a Gahanna Chamber luncheon, and he was fantastic. And and you know, get to meet with a lot of business people all around Central Ohio, business owners, marketing directors, just about their challenges and how to grow their business and get to do marketing and, and just do a lot of volunteer types of opportunities too. And so, yeah, it's every day is wildly different and, and very fulfilling. So before we jump in too much uh, granular detail on what you got going on today, we usually start back at the beginning. We'll talk about, you know, your childhood, your upbringing, um, and then we work our way through college and then our path to Columbus. So sure. feel free to kick off and, and talk about the high points and what you think, you know, are the most monumental stepping stones on your path to where you are. Sure. I, I'm a I'm a Columbus born kid, but I, I moved when I was two to Chicago, so I've got some allegiances to Chicago, like the Cubs and the Bears and the Jordan Bulls and Giordano's Pizza, which we now have in Columbus, which is kind of fun. But found myself back in, in Columbus kind of through high school to, to one of the Columbus, I'm a Columbus public school kid and uh, had a good experience there uh, with a school that's uh, no longer open, uh, Brookhaven, although they're still using it a little bit, uh, I think. But then uh, my path took me to Cedarville University um, where uh, I started out in a biology pre-physical therapy path and quickly learned that that was not the path for me. <laughs> And ended up, uh, I, I truly don't even remember how it happened. I, I, they had just launched a new student radio station. And I got, I remember sitting on the, in the corner on the floor in the studio and watching these guys do radio. And I went, oh my goodness, this is like a real job. I totally want to do this. And, and so changed my major and, and that was my career path. And so did everything I could for, on the student station. The, the university at that time had a college radio station as well that was more focused on the community and got a job doing news and, and uh, you know, just overseeing things on the weekends there. And so, so took a job there and, and got kind of any experience I could get uh, in radio. And then it was time to, I, I, I got engaged my senior year. My wife had one more, my soon-to-be wife had one more year. So I thought, okay, I've got to now figure out what am I going to do in, where am I going to get a job? I've got one year. She graduates. We got to, we got to be somewhere. And I wanted to go back to Columbus toward the end of my, my, or toward the end of my junior year, my advisor said, you know, I know you're doing this on air stuff. Have you tried, you know, you want to try sales. We've got the guy that was doing sales leaving. You want to do this? I thought, I don't, I don't know about sales, but I, he was a smart guy. I tried to follow his lead and I ended up um, doing sales part of my junior and then all of my senior year and just working with business owners in the area, putting promotions together, writing commercials, and uh, took some classes on that and realized, wow, I, I really like this. And one of the guys that had had some influence in the sales class there was a sales manager in Columbus back at uh, a station that's still here, uh, WRFD, which is owned by Salem Communications, uh, AM880. And so uh, upon graduation, I was contacting him pretty regularly and he didn't have any openings. I, I just kind of was patient, and, and I went back, lived at home um, for a little bit of time, saved my money, filled vending machines, you know, did whatever I could do, and, and come December of that year, uh, a job opened up, and I started uh, at, at 
at WRFD and uh, turned that into a 10-year career uh, there and, and 12 and a half years with their parent company, Salem Communications, where I, I sold radio for the first uh, part of that and, and then was a, uh, a sales manager for about the next seven, eight years. So I guess my first question is, what does it mean to sell radio? Because I'm thinking about it and I'm like, are you selling the advertising? Are you selling? So can you talk us through that? Absolutely. It's funny, an old Billy Crystal movie that probably, I, you know, I don't know the average age of your listeners, but uh, there's an old movie. It's, it's probably, it, I think it would have held up with the test of time, um, City Slickers. And, and in that movie, Billy Crystal is a radio sales manager. And so his big thing, there's like a show and tell at, at school and he goes in for his kids and there's like a fireman or something and a policeman. He's get, he gets up in front of everybody and goes, I sell air. You know, because <laughs> really there's no tangible you know, product in, in radio. But what it, what it started out as was very much basically, you know, we've got 10, 15, 30, 60 second commercial slots and selling those to companies. And what I really learned over my time is, yeah, you can just sell that, you know, that commodity of time and that'll take you a certain place if you've got good ratings and there's good money and you're working with big ad agencies. But I, I was at a station where we had a small listener base there weren't people knocking down our door. And so I had to figure out, okay, what, what does that look like? And so what it really turned into selling radio was actually coming up with marketing ideas and marketing plans and branding and positioning and, and really creating advertising campaigns that would last for years um, with different commercials. And, and so really for me, selling radio is, is that, and now that has really grown into, not only do we do that, but we put promotions together and you know, events and uh, full on you know, marketing plans that might involve digital media. And, and it's really become a much more robust thing than just you know, what we would call selling radio or selling air or putting a commercial on. What are some more granular examples of those marketing plans that you were putting together that you found the most success with or that kind of helped you spark your career and grow the most in that 12 and a half year stint? One of the, one of the early conferences I went to um, was held down in Nashville. And I, I heard a guy speak by the name of Roy Williams, and he's somebody that has played a very influential role in my development and even still today. And he had an ad agency down in Texas he had come up through the ranks of the same company that I had been, but like a decade prior in Oklahoma City. And he told stories about how he worked at this radio station that kind of had no listeners. And so he experimented with people's money and figured out why, you know, rather than putting ads on the air, it's, okay, why do people do what they do and how can we get them to do that? And so, so what I learned through that process is, you know, there, there's kind of, two types of advertising. There's, you know, kind of immediacy, transactional advertising where, okay, I, you know, I need a, talking about how you guys have, you know, some cool beer taps at your place where, you know, I need a beer tonight and I hear a radio ad and I might go get that. But is, but, but the second would be relational. You know, I, there are lots of purchases. I may only buy a car once every several years. Who am I going to go to and, and when? What we really learned was if we can take somebody and make them the company that people think of first and feel the best about when the need arises, then we can, and, and we could just get somebody advertising week after week and month after month and year after year, what's going to happen is rather than predicting the time of need that somebody has, when somebody has the need, this is the company they're going to think of. And, and we can all think of examples in our mind, depending on what our media habits are of, you know, when I've got a need, oh my goodness, you know, in Columbus, oh, I, I, 
time to buy a car. Oh, I think a Lindsay Honda, or I think a Reichert, or, you know, one of the, you know, I think a Germain. You know, just the, the bigger things that, that people do. You know, you don't see a lot of transactional, you know, what Apple computer is on sale. You think about what Apple is as a concept, and oh, I want to be associated with that brand, and it's very relational advertising, so that when I have the need, I'm going to go seek out Apple. And, and so we found that you can do that with almost any industry. And so when we could tell people's unique story, sometimes we're only doing that 30 or 60 seconds at a time, but we can tell somebody's unique story, people get pulled into that story and go, oh, when I've got that need, that's what's going to pop into my, into my head. It's more of a pivot from the transactional advertising selling you're telling to creating brand awareness and entire campaigns for companies that you're developing relationships with and selling that to them. So how, what does that sales pitch look like to somebody when they really want to know what are the numbers and what am I going to get immediately and trying to tell them, let's look out the next five, 10 months, one year, two years? Yeah, it's, it's very different because, and, and I learned this from Roy is, you know, you, you can't have in your mind, boy, you're really going to need six months to a year to see this happen, but not tell the customer. And he's written some books. He's got, uh, he had a client uh, nickname him the Wizard of Ads, and that birthed kind of a trilogy of books, um, The Wizard of Ads, Secret Formulas of the Wizard of Ads, Magical Worlds of, of the Wizard of Ads, and has actually birthed a whole marketing school and small business school that's a nonprofit down in Texas. What we learned from that is, you know, typically that first three months that you're advertising is a period of time where you're going to spend the most amount of money for the least amount of results. And so you've got to tell somebody, if your time horizon is next week, well then we might have to do some crazy stuff to try to get people to create a transaction and do that now. And we may or may not be successful at that because the things that work well in the short term tend to work less well over time because you almost have a boy that cried wolf when you, you know, the mattress industry is famous for, oh, it's this sale and it's this sale and this sale. And pretty soon you go, I'm never buying a mattress unless it's on sale. You know, that would be, that would be crazy. Um, so we, we really start from the beginning with customers and say, if your time horizon isn't several years down the road, now it's, it's not going to be several years before you get this, but we're really in this for the long haul. And I tell people, you know, somebody that has advertised with me six months almost never doesn't advertise the second six months. You know, somebody that comes with me year one always does year two. But if you don't tell them that up front, they're going to get, uh, and Roy talks in his, his book, yeah, he calls that first three months the chickening out period. And so we tell people, you're going to think you were nuts three months into this thing. And what we found is that sometimes, hey, things, they start hearing things a little more quickly than that, hopefully. But it, it takes a while for that to work because you can't predict the time of need that somebody's going to need a refrigerator or, you know, let alone financial planning, you know, something on the, the far end of the spectrum where there's a ton of trust. You know, it's one thing if I'm trying to get somebody to try a new restaurant. I'm making restaurant decisions sometimes up to three times a day. I'm making a refrigerator or a housing purchase or something. I make some of those things you may make once or twice in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting from a listener's perspective is that we trust these people on on the radio and we think, you know, we get all these, this information from people on the radio that we've never met, but we somehow find a way to trust them. How do you convey that? How do you set these campaigns up so that they create trust in your listeners? It depends on the, the business and the industry. And sometimes it's a, it's a little bit of gut feel, but you're almost really trying to make the ads about the customer and not about the business, but somehow weave the business's story through the lens that the customer cares about. Some of that happens with origin stories. And so 
it's, it's going to be the long setup to somebody's actually, you know, we talk about ads being lean in ads. It's almost like, oh, what? They're telling a story. That's really interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's feeling like, uh, you know, Paul Harvey's the rest of the story. And again, that's a fairly dated example. But uh, Mike Rose doing a podcast now, The Way I Heard It, where, they, you know, it's a two or three minute, you know, here's this story and you, you kind of want to hear the, the end of it. And so you're really trying to tell a story about them where people go, oh, who's this guy? What did they do? How did that happen? And you're not trying to, you know, hey, we've got the finest this and the best that and blah, 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 and people just don't care. And so as you get to know people's stories, it tends over time to build trust or at least build familiarity to where I feel like, oh, I, I bet I know them. We, we've worked with a jeweler in Marysville at, at the river probably for the last eight years and literally, they'll go, oh, yeah, people from Canal Winchester come here to Marysville. I'm like, how many jewelers did you have to drive by on your way from Canal Winchester to Marysville, you know, to buy jewelry? Um, and I realize it's a big dollar purchase. You, you know, you may not do that otherwise. But it's, boy, I, I really have a trust on something I don't really understand that well. And I feel like they're going to give me what I want. So you guys have pivoted more. And, you know, we kind of talked about this um, in some degree on the last question. But we, we pivoted from just pushing content out to pushing content out strategically with a story behind it in a way that creates more value than just selling an ad for somebody. And that's how you guys have differentiated yourself. Um, curious to hear, do you aim after particular companies to build that relationship with, like you said, like the big ticket items tend to convey and, and fit that storyline a little bit better because you, you tend to think about things at a deeper level when you're purchasing that amount. And then if so, how have your relationships evolved over time in your different sales positions. Sure. I know early on what we would find is somebody that has a larger dollar purchase potentially although, you know, the car business has really changed, but in a lot of that there's more margin. That that's another thing is is really part of your ad budget comes out of that margin. So you either need a, you know, maybe a lower volume but a high margin or if you are, you know, something that's that's pretty small, you you better have a high volume. Um, I mean, we've had success with bakeries and they're selling pies and, you know, things of that nature, which aren't a, a high dollar, um, but there's a, a high volume and, and high turnover. Um, so you can, you can really do it with both, but we find, you know, the higher dollar the ticket, almost the more important that is because people are much more taking a risk. Uh, I had one of my early uh, sales managers and mentors told me, when you're talking, you know, when you're talking to people about their money or their kids... And, and those high dollar purchases, that decision making process is going to be much longer. And, and so that trust is, is really a, a big deal. But what ends up happening is, you know, like in a lot of dollar purchases, people are, oh, you know, I'm going to call three or four, you know, I'm going to get three quotes. What we find is when they build trust, they get one quote. They go to the company they trust. And, and so what we've really found over time is we, we do better you know, part of it is looking at, okay, who's the consumer that, we, that we're serving with the radio station? And generally speaking, it's the general population. Our, our, the station I'm at, and I've been at for nine years, 1049 The River, you know, it's a very family-focused, very family-friendly audience. We talk about we're reaching the director of household purchasing, which is mom. <laughs> and, and she is an influencer in all of the decisions of the family. And, and again, we've got plenty of dads and plenty of kids that are listening as well. And sometimes the kids are just as influential in the backseat talking about, you know, where you're going to go to dinner that night but if if we can influence them in that story they're going to influence the the people around them and that's going to ultimately lead lead to that purchase yeah and you know we kind of jumped over 
1049 in the river. Now you got there. We kind of got lost on a tangent. We yes. went and just kind of moved forward. So let's take a step back. Let's talk about from, and I can't remember off the top of my head, it was um, your, your last role that you spent 12 years at. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, it was, it, that was with Salem Communications. Salem and and primarily it was salesperson and then sales management. I, right. I kind of skipped through that a little bit that I was uh, a, a sales manager here for about seven years after selling and then moved to Seattle, Washington for about uh, five years and about two and a half of that was with Salem as a sales manager with okay. a group out there. That makes sense. And then how did you come back to Columbus then and, and what brought you to 1049 The River? Great. So I was in Seattle, uh, again, just a bigger market, some some diversity in, in stations there and, and enjoyed my time there. There was a period of time toward the end there that I realized I needed to transition out of, of that company. Kind of couldn't find a radio job and it was a very weird diversion, but I ended up uh, working at the church I was attending, and I was a children's pastor and a men's pastor for about two and a half years, which was nothing I was really pursuing, but that was a job that I ended up with, and, it, and I actually really enjoyed, and, and a little of my backstory is I'm a pastor's kid, and so I had been volunteering in a lot of those roles just in my spare time, moving up to that, so it was not a an area I was familiar with, because you could go, how does radio advertising and working with children, <laughs> where does that come? And, and sometimes sales management is kind of like running an adult daycare, or it can be. But uh, So I did that for two and a half years, and then I got a phone call kind of out of the blue from a buddy that I had done college radio with. And I had been on the morning show, and he was our sports guy, and he would bring us breakfast over in the morning and do the sports for us in, in our morning show, and, and uh, we would have a, a, a good time. Well, he called me. I hadn't talked to him in years, and he said... Hey, uh, the station that used to be here in Columbus is now the river and I'm working there and you know a couple other people that are working here and we need a sales manager. Would you be interested in coming back? And I said, no, I'm happy in Seattle and I'm good. But I also realized I, at, at that time I had, when we moved out there, we had three kids. Uh, we had four at, at that time and, and realized the transportation between Seattle and Columbus isn't super easy and realizing all of my wife's family and my family were back in Ohio, realized this may be the only chance we're either gonna be in Seattle probably for the rest of our lives or a long period of time or we're gonna be back in Columbus. And so I flew, flew in and, and met people and looked at the job and realized, you know what, this is a pretty good place. The, the river seems like they've got their act together and it was a very different station than I had known before that. Um, where I had actually been offered a job, but it wasn't a healthy environment and, and didn't want to be there. And, and they had really transformed it into a, a great company and a great operation. And so I moved the whole family back here and, uh, and took the job as the sales manager. And, and that's been a little over nine years. As you transitioned from doing more of the sales yourself to the sales management, how did that change your perspective on the role? Did you enjoy that more in terms of managing people? Or was it a, a different type of uh, challenge for you or yeah it's it's a very different challenge it was interesting as as I started in sales I got as much education as I could you know on marketing and, and just trying to you know some things were from our our industry organization the radio advertising bureau and I took their certified radio marketing consultant class and it was funny I studied way harder after I got a job than I ever did before you know, and I wasn't a bad student, but it's like you suddenly realize this is kind of the rest of your life. This is serious stuff. And so I, you know, went to seminars and read marketing books and, you know, listened to to uh, all kind of audio in my car. You know, back then it was cassette tapes and binders and 
eventually transitioned to CDs, but it was, you know, I'm going to learn everything I can on marketing, on advertising, on leadership. And I had a boss that would take us to seminars and, and would give us those types of opportunities as well and, and really built into us that way. And what happened over time where I was just one-on-one -on -one with a lot of clients and keeping track of a lot of things and juggling all those plates, the sales manager left and, and our general manager just kind of took that role of sales manager for a while. And what he did is he watched, okay, who are the other people in the sales department coming to for help, for resources, for information, for ideas? And over time that had just developed that it was me. And I, that wasn't intentional. It was just, hey, I'm learning this stuff and I'm trying to help and let's, you know, let's do great things. We had a great team. We all got along really well together. And so he got the buy-in from some of the other salespeople. And it's kind of funny because I was probably like a you know, a 26-year-old kid, and I think the average age of our salespeople at that time was probably 40-something, but they were all behind me as a, as a sales manager, and, and so I still carried an account list at that time, but what it really was was it wasn't the, you know, okay, it's my turn to go to the corner office and crack the whip. It was, how can I help you with your clients and help them to get better? And how can I help you with your clients and help them get better? And how can we brainstorm and have ideas and how we've got this sales target? How can we work together as a team with contests and with fun and, and different stuff and really build this up? And, and so it, it was a big shift. And part of that was, okay, I still got to do my job for my, my accounts, which became harder. But I really loved the you know, instead of I just have a, you know, 20 or 30 clients that I'm working with, suddenly I've got 100 clients that I'm working with and, and really adopted the mindset because um, sometimes sales can be very competitive. And you try to create some competition between salespeople to hit their goals and things. But what, we, what I found was if, if we can all get better, the station does better. And, and so if we can create healthy competition, we're all going to improve. And, and that's really what what I sought to do. And so my job then became, how can I serve the salespeople? And that was really what my boss had, had built into me, is my job isn't to whip them into shape. My job is to remove the obstacles out of the way, their way to make their job a lot easier. How has your experience changed since first stepping into that role? Have you learned new tactics or how has your process changed as a sales manager? You know, it's, it's interesting Probably the, the biggest shift I've had is from maybe my first 10 years to my, to my last 10 years is what radio advertising was has had a radical shift and how we do business has had a radical shift. And so different people in your organization need different help. You know, we, when I first started, and it's almost crazy to think this, but it's like, you know, orders came over the fax machine and people were waiting in line to borrow the company computer to put their proposal together. You know, where now everybody's got a laptop and everybody's mobile and, and you know, you have everything. And you've got, you know, I've got people working for me that have been in the business for, you know, 40 years, 45 years. And they're, you know, they're not digital natives. And so for them, the skill set is different. It's like they're great sellers and they're great relationship people, but they need help on that. Help me take care of the technology side of this and answer the technology questions that our customers have. And the other people, it's, you know, they're super happy to sit on their phone and sit on their computer um, and, and work on those like a mini computer, but they need the, how do I go out and actually interface face to face with customers and network because I don't have those skills and those tools. And, you know, uh, the, the 
I would rather text and not have to talk to somebody. And, and so that's a, a big shift where before, you know, everybody kind of had that same skill set. Now it's very, a very diverse uh, group for me to work with. And then you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the different aspects of your role that aren't just sales. Where does the extent of your role start and when do, where does it stop? I mean, are, are you participating in the creation and crafting of these marketing campaigns that you're um, selling people into? Are you just got, you have obviously an extensive team that's working with you as well. So what does that look like? Yeah. Um, it's almost whatever anybody needs. Um, and, and my goal has always been to replicate myself to the degree that I can and, and hopefully, frankly, make people better than me. You know, I, I'm, if I've got people better than me, I'm going to have a much better team. I'm going to win bigger. And, and I've certainly seen that on my team where there's people that have taken the concepts that I've, you know, amassed and studied and, and shared with them and helped them learn. And they've taken them I think past where I could. And others go, hey, I'm great in this area, but maybe I struggle with putting campaigns together. And so, you know, sometimes I'm going on those very same calls with them and then we're coming back and creating strategy. And sometimes I might help write that. Sometimes I might just put an outline together and get that to a different copywriter. Sometimes they write the stuff and send it to me and I edit it. And so it becomes a very collective process of, where are our skill sets? Who's best to do what and and uh, and get the best product out for the customer? And sometimes we'll work on something and just send it to another salesperson and go, hey, you're really good at this type of thing. You've had success. Can you rip this apart for us and 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 do that and and uh, you know brainstorm with each other when something's not working? Uh, you know, so it's it's a it, and that's something that I enjoy. It's different every day and it's different with each uh, with each customer. Absolutely. So let's kind of start looking towards, you know, the future for you and 1049 The River. What what do you think in the next five years for both your team and yourself personally? I think we are still and, and I think I've, we've probably been doing this for the last five years. You know, the I think the death of radio has been greatly exaggerated. But by the same token, we don't want to think that the landscape is not changing and that you know, the world isn't, isn't changing. What we've found uh, through, you know, uh, research that's been done recently, you know, 10 years ago, I think 94% of America uh, or, uh, you know, the, the U.S. was exposed to radio in a given week. Today, 93% of, of America is exposed to radio. Now, what we found is the amount of time that they spend has gone down because we're sharing it with more things like this podcast. You know, I find that I'm also listening to podcasts and other things, but I'm still listening to radio. And so we've got to see, you know, we've got to still be caretakers of the content, make sure that it's unique, make sure that it's compelling, make sure that people keep coming back to it. That's why radio has to be careful that like a music station doesn't just become a jukebox because then I can go get that somewhere else. So I've got to, you know, do, have some nuance and some, uh, some story crafting and telling and, and uh, reasons why somebody would want to come there. So part of it is, is looking to the future and going, what's our business going to be like? And, you know, do, do we need to make sure that we've got a mobile app, which we do, you know, that you can go to your app store and, and search 1049 The River and you can get a mobile app and, and do things like, hey, we've created some additional apps and different things. We're looking at podcasting right now. So I think it's finding what is going to be uh, an enhancement to our product with our listeners and what enhanced delivery mechanisms can we have and do we need to expand with more radio stations or we need more apps more you know methods in which people can do that for instance you know where you you can if you've got the alexa app you can enable the 1049 the river skill and then you can ask to listen to 1049 the river and boom it's it's playing on alexa for you 
and so those are the things that we're trying to do. And then I think from a sales standpoint, you know, digital is, is the big thing. That was Nick, the publisher from Business First, even talked about that a lot today and how they in the newspaper industry still are pivoting very much because everybody is doing some degree of digital advertising. And part of that is letting people know when you're doing mass media and you're combining it with digital advertising, you know, with, with SEO, for instance, search engine optimization, I'm still getting hundreds of choices, you know, or at least a dozen choices on the first page of something I've searched. But if I have already given somebody something to search for through mass media, through branding, well, number one, I'm not going to type, you know, dentist Reynoldsburg. I'm going to type Reynoldsburg Family Dental because that's the dental office I've heard. And so still letting people know, don't not do digital, but that's only one aspect of what you should be doing and and in your media presence mass media still right now has a very significant part to play and and not letting people fall for all of the hype that's there but we've still got to explore those other things you know facebook and, and what does that look like and google and all of those algorithms change every week i think just to keep people on their toes and, and we've got to stay on top of that and help our clients with it what does the future look like just for you any personal goals looking ahead or with, with the river, it's the first time where I've been working at the worldwide headquarters of the parent company. Uh, when I was with Salem, they were a public company. You know, they were headquartered out in Camarillo, California. And, and so you're just le- working in your local station, but there are many layers above you, you know, to where the decisions are, are really being, being made that are above the market decisions. Where here, you know, the, the president, CEO of our organization is directly across the hall from me. And so we're we're in that process of, of decision-making for what we're going to do for our company. I mean, we're a small company, you know, less than 30 employees or, or about that many. And so I think for me, it's we're developing a lot of young leaders. We've been able over the last five years especially to, you know, take almost people that were entry-level out of college, and we now see them as leaders and managers in our company and really helping to grow them so that they can be the future um, I know that, you know, I know that my boss is probably five to 10 years out from, you know, maybe retirement as, as he's said. And again, I, that's, a, I think that's an ever moving target for him, but, you know, seeing what my future role looks like in, in the company, whether it's in this, whether it, you know, could be moving into there, I don't really know, but I'm excited about those opportunities of, of working with the team that we've got and really all of us growing. Definitely. I think. That's a great place to pivot towards our last question, Bill, which is focused around the theme of our show here on Conquering Columbus, uh, live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about what Josh and I think about it, how do you think the phrase applies to your life and what do you think of when you hear it? Living uncomfortably. You know, it's, it's funny. We've got a unique setup at our offices at the River over in Gahanna where we've given some space to some nonprofit organizations to kind of incubate for a while. And one of those is the Driven Foundation. And the, the president of the Driven Foundation is Roy Hall, uh, former Buckeye. And, and I had a conversation with him one time, and I had never thought about this before, but he said, I am always trying to make everybody that I'm talking to, whether it's one-on-one, in a large crowd, I want to make people uncomfortable. And, you know, if you're going out and serving and, and it's not uncomfortable, I don't even think you're really serving. You're not really doing, you know, because it's easy. And, and so we need a degree of uncomfortableness in our lives. And I thought about that and I went, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. I'm constantly looking for ways to, to make myself uncomfortable. And, and some of that is just recognizing when suddenly you kind of feel like you're in a rhythm and that everything's smooth. 
I better be careful because I might be getting complacent and, and something bad can happen. And, you know, we're in a, an industry that is constantly being disrupted. And so you have to live with a, a degree of uncomfortableness, which tells you you're probably doing the right thing. And so I, I love that philosophy. I think that's living uncomfortably is, is probably important, even when it's not maybe the way you, you want to live, but it's probably the way you should live. Well, Bill, thanks a lot. That's a great answer. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show this afternoon. Oh, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. I love what you guys are doing. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast and, and a lot of the leaders that are in Columbus and, and just getting a chance to learn from them and hear stories that I probably wouldn't get to hear otherwise. And I, and I just think that's a, a real treasure for, for Columbus, what you guys are doing. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate that. And Conquerors, we appreciate you all tuning in. Thanks for listening. That was Bill Montgomery, Chief Sales Officer at 1049 The River. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.